Alright, after a couple of days of waiting, we're finally doing it. AEW Dynamite, but not just any dynamite. It's a special edition. 30 years of Jericho career. So, how was the show? Well, I'm gonna tell you straight away. It was a good show. Enjoyable from the beginning to the end. Uh, no, without the flaws, and... Trust me, those flaws were noticeable. But let's not focus on the negative, and let's start with some positive. So, let's start with the opening match. Will Hobbs versus Brian Cage. And this match... This match fucking ruled. I didn't have particularly high hopes for this match, but it sure as hell delivered. Two massive guys fighting against each other? Hell yes, what else can you ask for? Well, let's make one of those dudes do a fucking standing moonsault, for example, huh? Yeah, that would definitely add something to this match, right? And not only did we see the typical beefy man style of match with clotheslines, body, uh, body punches and body splashes, to one another. We also seen some incredible agility from Brian Cage, so it is said, with the moon souls, incredible kicks, and other stuff that you wouldn't particularly expect to see from someone from his size. And at this point, I should already, you know, get rid of this excitement after seeing this each and every single week, but I just can't. You know, it's so impressive for me, the fact that he can actually do this stuff. But not only did we see this agility, we also saw a little bit of glints of G1, like second week in a row for AEW. With uh, absolute no-sell of German suplexes, then attempting your own German suplex, and again no fucking sell it, because why the fuck would you sell a German suplex, of course? We've seen F5s, power bombs, spine busters, anything you want. And speaking of spine busters, let's talk about the finish. After performing a spine buster, Will Hobbs finisher, Brian Cage kicked out. And because of his inexperience, Will Hobbs decided to go for something he usually doesn't really, you know, perform. A frog splash. And unfortunately for this dude, it was the end. Frog Splash missed completely. Brian Cage picks up. And for his own finisher, 1-3, it's a victory. FTW Champion is still FTW Champion. And after the match, you know, after that great match, great opening match, Taz, who was, of course, an announcer uh, on Announcing Temple and, uh, you know, was commentating the match, something that he always does, mostly on Dark, but sometimes on Dynamite, he said that he was so impressed by Will Hobbs' performance that he gives him an opportunity to join the Team Taz. But before Will Hobbs could actually give an answer, join or get beat up by Ricky Starks and Brian Cage, Darby Allen came out to save him. Weirdly, neither Cage neither Starks sold it like they were afraid. 
And if Cage always tries to be a badass and just not flinch, turn away and just go away from Darby Allen, you know, this fucking midget who tries to attack this machine, for Ricky Starks, this was something new for his character. Maybe because he already fought against him, maybe because he just didn't want to fucking sell the shit. I don't know, but it definitely added something. And mostly confusion for me, if it makes sense. It was cool, the fact that Ricky decided to not sell it, but at the same time, after seeing him being afraid every single time, or at least be worried every single time when Darby came out, this was a drastic change of pace for him. But you know what? I would just assume that he matured, he's no longer afraid of someone he already fighted against. There's only a skateboard in his hand, and if I clearly saw, there was no thumbtack, so he should not worry about it. Then we had something that said whole fucking internet on fire. Well, of course, in pro wrestling fanbase. Through the show, we've seen celebrities congratulate Jericho on his 30 years anniversary. We've seen Kevin Smith, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Slash, Glenn Simpson, Jericho's dad, obviously, and of course, Hiroshi Tanahashi. And the fact that we saw him in AEW after that match at Wrestle Kingdom started a lot of rumors. Will we see uh, some sort of clap? Will we see an invasion angle? Will we see anything? What's fucking next? And nobody really knows. We can only speculate, and I would love to speculate about this for so long because... This is something that we've all been waiting for, and unfortunately we're not gonna get it anytime soon, but as a stepping stone, this is a big thing, no denying. You know, I was so fucking shocked, I was so surprised, not only because it's Hiroshi Tanahashi, the ace of New Japan, but also he stands right before, you know, right in front of the logo of New Japan on the wall so you can clearly see it and that's weird as well before they mentioned new japan but they never showed anything from new japan and again it may be the case that aw asked the new management of new japan can we use this you know video package or something else with the new japan written down all over it and they said yes, but pay us a certain amount of money. And they gladly accepted. Maybe. But even this is a big step forward from just mentioning them, but not showing them. So, we should definitely keep a closer look on what's going to happen in the next... Well, who knows how long, because obviously because of pandemic... We're not going to see any sort of invasion or any sort of New Japan stars actually appearing live in front of the crowd or in front of the cameras, only digitally. And even this is a big what if, because I would stick, you know, New Japan guys debuting, if they would, for a show when they're actually allowed to wrestle. After that, we had Lance Archer's promo, 
it was a very cool promo where he basically hyped the match that they're gonna have against Moxley next week for the AEW World Title. But again, they mentioned and they showed parts of their match on Wrestle Kingdom 14. It was weird to see it, you know, because they were fighting for the United States title that John Moxley currently holds, but they never mentioned it, and it's absolutely alright, but it was weird to see this footage knowing that they never showed this before. So once again, a big step forward and a cool promo, so I had nothing against this segment. After that, we had another edition of Brush of Greatness, TH2 vs FTR. Another good match, where Jack Evans and Ahalco showcased some of their abilities. It was mostly Evans because he was like wrestling 90% of the match against Dex and Cash. And uh, I don't know how many times did I say this thing, but FTR worked on the leg of Jack Evans. This fucking line, FTR worked on the leg of a certain, of a certain opponent, <laughs> fucking drives me insane. I'm saying it every single week where there's an FTR match. I swear to fucking God. But you know what? Even though they try to work on his leg, even though they did, they try to separate Jack Evans from his partner, we've still got ourselves a great match between those two. And yeah, there were some botches. Thankfully, they actually tied with a story like Jack Evans going for a springboard, missing it completely, but only hitting uh, Dax with his leg, and then immediately going for a moonsault. Was it a botch? Yes. Was it obvious? Yes. But did it work in the context of a story when he tried to jump, but his leg gave away and he couldn't actually hit him properly? Kinda yes, so even though there were some botches, they were not so visually harassing for a viewer, you know? Yeah, you definitely noticed them, but at the same time, you didn't really mind them. Even though for some, I can obviously understand if that took away from the match. No shit, if you were, you know, upset that this happened or it took away something from the match, yeah, I can totally get it. And then, obviously, you know, Jack Evans make attack. We saw something from Angelico, some cool moves, some submission maneuvers. Then again, tag Jack Evans in. There he tried to perform some incredible moves that he normally does. And something that we're not really seeing a lot. Because he performs a lot on Dark and nobody fucking watches Dark, let's be honest. But in all honesty, Jack Evans is a great performer, so is Angelico, and it's a shame we don't see a lot of them. But the end of the match came after Jack Evans missed a move. Uh, FTR once again dominated, went for their combination of suplex from a top rope and a frog splash. One to three, that's it. Then after the match was sore, Young Box attacking a cameraman, super kicking him. Bef because before uh, the super kick, they were actually watching throughout the whole match this match. Yeah, great fucking choose a wording answer. I know, fucking great idea. Doesn't matter. Uh, they were watching some ridiculous angles, 
probably a jab for a WWE. Always nice to see this. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure where this story goes right now. Obviously, it's a throwback to their old personalities, old mindset of heal young bucks, attack everybody, it doesn't matter, kid or referee or announcer, it doesn't fucking matter, we're gonna super kick the living shit out of you. I understand this, but I don't really know whether it's working right now. For some, it took away from this rivalry between Young Bucks and FTR, because they want to see one as a babyface and another as heel, and it was going for this, but now suddenly it changed the course, and nobody really knows how we're gonna get this match. Obviously, it's going to be for the titles, but how is it going to be two heels? Is it going to be FTR turning babyface? Will we see a babyface even there in this fucking match? Who knows? We will see. I'm not that interesting, surprisingly, but I'm still am. So we're going to see how it's going to fill out in the next couple of weeks. We can just wait and see. Also, after this match, we saw a picture appearing on a Titan Throne with uh, two winners, hot dogs, uh, with added tag team belts and faces of Dex and Cash. Best friends came out, cut a promise saying that, hey, we are comedy backyard wrestlers, and we calling you weenies, because you are weenies. <laughs> it was... It was not really funny. I don't think it was designed to be funny. Uh, and it wasn't funny. It was more cringy. But it got the point. Next week we're going to have another match. For the tag team titles. It's not going to be Brush of Greatness. So it's not going to be 20 time minute limit. It's going to be a 60 minute time limit. I'm pretty sure that's what the announcer said. Even though some pictures on... Other sides are showing that this match actually will still be a 20-minute brush of greatness type of match. So I'm not really sure what's happening there. Maybe it's just a mistake on one behalf or another. Uh, we're going to wait and see. They're going to make a clear announcement closer to the next Wednesday. And now it's time for the main event. Cody versus Brody Lee for the TNT title in a dark color match. And I know, technically it wasn't the main event, I know, but come on. It was designed to be a main event, I'm pretty sure JR said, this is the main event of this Dynamite. And it sure as fuck felt as a main event of a show. For some it was actually a match of the year contender, for others it was just a, just a match with a chain. For me, for me it was... Very, very fucking good, bloody match that I really enjoyed, but I couldn't enjoy it fully because my internet actually gave away like a couple of times while I was watching the show, and it happened right in the middle of this fucking match, so I couldn't fully enjoy it. But from what I saw, it was fucking incredible. Obviously, I rewatched uh, the parts that I missed, and. This shit didn't disappoint. From the very get-go, uh, none other than the man, the myth, the legend, John Silver gets fucking bladed. You know, Cody attacks him with a chain, cameraman, uh, focus on Cody, backs it, 
Joan and fucking Hal Silver is already bleeding. And that actually put a big uh, set for the match. So you're going to know for sure there's going to be blood. There's going to be gruesome stuff. And it's not going to be a typical, I don't want to say it, but WWE type of match where they just going from one corner to another. It's not a Japan WWE by any means, but yeah, their matches are so shit that I really didn't want to see this type of match in AEW because I was burned a couple of times by WWE, but they fucking delivered. Cody straight away from the beginning of the match was bleeding after some of the moves with the chain. Brody was bleeding, but before that, we saw Cody attempted to do a cutter where Brody just yanked him by the chain and he fell from fucking top road around his, uh, around his back. We saw Brody throwing Cody into the barricade, attempting to do some throws at the barricade, putting a table there. Then Cody yinks a Brody from the apron for the cutter. That was fucking incredible. Pile driver for a table in a commercial break. Fucking hell, what the fuck is going on? It was a picture-to-picture type of commercial break, but it definitely set a tone for this match that actually anything can happen during a commercial break during this fucking match so you should not blink because you will actually miss something then cody did a crossroads brody kicked out of one took control of the match decided to beat the living shit off cody with with the chair but instead just yinked it right into the arn anderson and it actually flew by him, Arn Anderson barely get, goes away from this chair. It flew like a fucking frisbee or some shit like this. <laughs> and after that, Arn decided to attack Brody, uh, but instead, Alex Silver came out, got spine bustered, and Brody attacked uh, Arn Anderson with a chain. Then we had some other sequence between Cody and Brody, another gruesome. Uh, part of the match where Cody headlocks Brody. No typical shit. But you can actually see how blood pours down on the forehead of Brody Lee. And it's just so hard to watch. Well, not really hard to watch, but it really sets the tone for this match. You know, it sets the tone for this rivalry. It was bloody. It was hard-hitting. And it's so escalated here. We had one of the best floatovers I've ever seen in my entire life. Better than in any wrestling game, I'm going to tell you this. Cody, uh, well, Brody attempted to do our clothesline to end the match. But Cody flying through Brody's attack, going for a final cut, uh, Dustin Rhodes' finisher maneuver, getting two... And then after, you know, again, it's some super kicks from Brody, some attack with the chain from uh, Cody. It's another crossroads. One to three. Cody is victorious. Cody is your new, once again, TNT champion. And this kind of surprised me because it makes sense that Cody will win. Because, you know, Brody did so much shit to Cody, to his family, to the Nightmare family. And it would make sense for Cody to win, but also it wouldn't. 
because Brody is on top of his game and you don't want to really make him as a transitional champ. But after the match, Cody cut a great babyface promo where he basically said, just because I dyed my hair black doesn't mean I'm gonna turn heel. I'm gonna fight with pride, I'm gonna fight for you people, and I'm gonna do it next week at the anniversary show. And I was really excited, I actually forgive the fact that Cody became a champion and Brody lost. Uh, but then Orange Cassidy came out and Cody accepted his challenge and I was like, what the fuck? I don't want to see this match. I like Orange Cassidy. I like Cody. But Orange Cassidy just lost like two weeks ago to Brody Lee for the TNT title. There is no need to put him in this title position. Because if he will win, I'm not going to really like this. If Cody gonna win, there was no point of booking this match. I'm just telling you. And you know, I can understand some criticism going towards Cody. Oh, you're just a Triple H from 2003. Oh, you're just doing a self-booking. You, you are busted, motherfucker. You know, this type of comments. And I would agree with them, but... I think that this five-week or six-week run with the title put over Brody massively because Cody established this title. Brody felt like a fucking massive threat after this match against Mox and after some vignettes from him also. He became the most over thing on being the elite, well, the whole Dark Order. And the the manner that he won the title was fucking incredible. But after that, you can say that during his reign, he didn't really do anything with this title. And you're going to be correct, but it definitely made Brody more established. And the fact that he lost it so quick, maybe will turn as a bad thing in the future. But right now, I'm not really against for the fact that he lost this title in a six weeks. At first, when I saw this, I was a little bit concerned. I was conflicted. I didn't really knew what what should I, you know, experience, what emotion should I get. Because I'm happy that Cody won, but I'm not sure that Brody lost. But right now, I'm giving it a benefit of a doubt. I want to see what's going to happen with Brody. I can expect some great promos, being angry, maybe at Silver, maybe at fucking anyone else, I don't know. And maybe it's going to turn out very well for Brody because, well, actually, I don't know how it's going to turn out for Brody because he will not go for the main title, obviously. And I'm not sure what he's going to do next. So we're just going to wait and see. For Cody... I can't wait for Cody's next title reign because if it's going to be an open challenge once again, holy fuck, I'm I'm raising my both arms right now and I'm saying, yes, please, give me this shit. If he's going to lose to Orange Cassidy, then fucking no, but I actually can't wait to see what's going to happen next in the story of Cody. Will he turn heel? What's going to happen? Who he will defend this title against. Will Macardona come back and fight for this title? I don't know. We shall wait and see. 
after the match also we got an announcement that Wardlow uh who else was announced? Wardlow, Cole Cabana, and Hangman Adam Page were announced as the next three competitors in this term tournament that will lead to full gear for the first contendership for the AEW World Championship. And then we had a great promo, cleaner style, from Kenny Omega, when he basically said that he won every single tournament he was in, even, even the one where he was the debut, you know, never was in the G1, well, basically he was referencing to G1, and he still won it from the first try. And it's a great thing that they actually given opportunities for some, you know, incredible wrestlers in this company, but also for those tag team wrestlers like Hangman Adam Page. Oh, that was so fucking good. The fact that he referenced, you know, to Hangman Page as a tag team wrestler was so good. His promo was really good. For the first time, it felt like he actually meant it, you know. Most of Kenny's promo were very weak, or I'm not gonna say unrealistic. They were untouchable with the crowd, you know. He he said it, and I didn't really felt a lot of emotions. This time, I was like, holy shit. I really want to see full gear Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega, but I'm not sure we will get this because I wouldn't be surprised if someone would snap and actually will allow someone like Warlow to go further or something like this happen. Because maybe you want to stretch it until Revolution where it's so much history, you know. They had a six-star match against Bucks and now they're going to face against each other. That would be cool, but if we're gonna get a full gear, that would be great as well. So, great promo, uh, interesting competitors added up because you're gonna have Wardlow, who you can miss. You know, this is a fucking incredible guy. You have Cole Cabana, and you don't know how they're actually gonna do stuff with him. Will he be actually wrestling? Because Brody Lee may came out and actually took place for. Cole Cabana, you know, and if it's going to be with Hangman Page, they have so much history against each other because, you know, they tried to recruit Hangman Adam Page and all that stuff. Uh, this idea was brought up by my friend from other videos that I saw, and I fucking love this idea. But even if it's going to be Cole Cabana versus Kenny Omega or someone, age, uh, someone else, it's also going to be good. So, yeah, I'm looking forward. And Hangman Page, he's gonna rule the fucking house. After that, we had Big Swole versus Serena Dees. Uh, uh, excuse me, I don't remember her name correctly. Even though I'm a big fan of what she did in uh, AEW. I know that she did some stuff in WWE with CM Punk. And a little bit after on the Indies. But she was great in a previous matches, this one was, uh, it was fine. Uh, that was about it. Like 10 minutes, maybe less, 7 minutes. Uh, a little bit sloppy, a little bit botchy from time to time, but not a bad match. Pretty decent one. Uh, but not a lot to talk about. 
once again this whatever minutes for the women's division they don't care why should i big swole for one and um next week actually i just got the announcement that she will face against hikaru shida for the women's title cool looking forward for this match absolutely zero story though so i'm disappointed after that we had one of the best fucking promos i've seen for quite some time no shit it was john monksley in a bar and also outside like a not a desert but you know the california style display against cactuses and some sand you know or the art style i really like here but his promo was fucking fire he basically again once again referenced the fact that he faced against lance archer in japan uh, for the u.s title uh, in new japan at wrestle kingdom uh, after that he said that he traveled half around the globe just to finish the job i well know that when i give this belt to the referee am i never gonna get it back and you know what lance archer might fucking well be the man who will take this title away from me but i'm gonna fight until the end and it doesn't matter will i win or will i lose because how you say lance throwing the coin Everybody dies and just drinks his shot and walks away. This was fucking incredible. It maybe sounds miserable after I said this, but you should just check it out. It's around a minute and a half, maybe two minutes, but it's a fucking wicked promo. After that, I am so hyped. I want to see this match and I I don't know who will win. It's mostly going to be Mox, probably. But Lance winning wouldn't disappoint me at all. But I hope this match will f will be fucking fire. Because those two guys put a lot of hype into their promos. But Moxley's promos was fucking incredible. And after that we had our main event. Which was uh, Luther and uh, Serpentico versus Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. It was something that you would expect from this match. It was barely fun. I'm not gonna shit on it way too much because I know why it happened. Chris Jericho said in his hyped interview that you can see at AEW's YouTube channel in a Row 2 series, where he basically said that Luther is not here because I said so to Tony Khan, it's because he's a legend and he performed some great matches in Tokyo and here in US, but he never had an opportunity to showcase his ability uh, in the USA on the national network and especially in the main event. So I'm glad for the guy and especially I'm glad for Serpentico who told the story that he was about to quit wrestling after the pandemic hit, but his friends and family convinced him to stay. And now from nobody, he's in the main event of AW Dynamite. I I mean, that means a lot for him. And that's a nice story. But uh, it wasn't so much nice of a match. Because Sir Pentagon did good. But Luther, not so much. He was so gassed out after like a couple of minutes of the match. He was tired. 
he was a little bit sloppy, especially you could see when he tried to do some maneuvers from the top rope. And the whole match was just slow and nothing really memorable came out of this. Uh, the only memorable thing was Luther Cash in the bed, trying to hit Chris Jericho, not getting a win, getting Judas Effect, running right his face and losing the match. Once again, I'm not going to shit way too much on this, but it wasn't that good. I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't that good. After the match, though, when Chris Jericho tried to cut a promo saying that how great he is and how grateful he is for the fans that actually supported him, MJF came out with Warlow and uh, the man who was thrown, you know, he was covered up so he couldn't see who the fuck it was. MJF said it's present time, revealed that he's, he's a fucking clown wearing a lighting jacket, you know, like he had in WWE. And uh, his face painting was not only clowns, but also paint, paint maker style of Chris Jericho. They also revealed, revealed another present, which was MJF's painting. Well, basically not even a painting, it was a photo of MJF. And that was about it. Chris Jericho grabbed a microphone and said, Oh, how grateful he is. Take this picture. Bum. Hit the clown. Judas Effect. Great sell from the clown. Dude who actually sold this shit. Great job, my friend. You can be proud of yourself. Uh, but I would say that... Uh, well, let's finish the segment. After that, he said he hates, he hates clowns. Uh, MJF and Chris Jericho had a stare down, which was very good because before MJF said that he has a big announcement that he's going to make on the next week, probably going to reveal that he's going to join or tease that he's going to join the inner circle. But after the stare down, everybody will like on commentary that maybe this decision is about to change. But then they laugh it off, saying like it was absolutely nothing. Good joke, buddy. Good joke. I'm not sure about this. Not only the match was meh, meh, but also the segment was very forced. I enjoyed MGF and Chris Jericho tension between themselves, but this segment was just way too overdone and empty you know i didn't feel any emotions i was not impressed with the presence i was not impressed with not with the promo especially but with the with the fact that we needed this fake tension and again left it off it definitely served something, I enjoyed it, but everything that happened before this was not really affecting into the favor of this segment. But after this, we had the funniest thing on the show, the credit starts to roll, you know, special thank you, the cameraman, the announcers, the commentators, the director, everybody else. And every single name is Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho, even Chris Jericho. As Chris Jericho. That was a very good fucking thing. And while the credits were rolling, all the heels came out on the on the ring and they started celebrating the 30th anniversary 
of Chris Jericho with a little bit of a bubbly. So, as I said before in the beginning of this opinion review, I enjoyed the show. It had incredible match in a dog color match between Cody and Brody. Good matches like Will Hobbs and Brian Cage and FTR versus TH2. Uh, but the second hour really fell flat. If you watch the first hour, you if you would miss the second hour, you wouldn't miss anything. Apart from maybe, once again, this ending tension between MJF and, uh, you know, this credit rolling shit. I don't really know what else to say about this. I enjoyed the show, hope you did as well. If you didn't, or if you did, please, you know, comment. I would always love to hear your opinion. And uh, next week is going to be even wilder. It's going to be another special edition of Dynamite. One year anniversary for AEW Dynamite. Can't wait, because there's going to be some incredible matches. And for anybody who asked about NXT reviews, I'm not sure will I ever do this one again, but maybe I will do, you know, some sort of video about why I don't really care about NXT anymore. If you're really into this shit, uh, you can write a comment. Will you want me to ramble about NXT for a little bit? Or would you mind me just talking about something that I actually enjoy or Monday Night Raw if it's once again going to be shit. So, once again, thank you for listening. Hear you soon.